Welcome back, Dennis Stewart. Lovely to see you again. And it's a little while since we last did the program. It is indeed, Jane. I've missed the program and I've missed you and I've missed the listeners. So, and Springer's coming back. You oh, look, it is. mild weather it's magnificent. today. magnificent. I left the Hunter this morning and I thought, this is paradise. Lovely day, beautiful temperature, good scenery, coming to a good program. Now, how are your bees enjoying oh, well, this weather? Well, look, that's one of the reasons why I decided to take this topic up today. Uh, passing my hives, even in my backyard, little land at the property, it's just, a, as they say, a hive of activity. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to have a chat about bees I'd today. I'd like to. We'll start, we'll start this, uh, this season, if you like, talking about this fascinating topic of bees, what they do for us, how to get into uh, into beekeeping, as simple as that. We'll have a great time. Health naturally, and Dennis Stewart back with us again, and all set to think about bees and bees keeping. Beekeeping, beekeeping. beekeeping. Look, it's it's a, a fascinating um, situation presently as far as the history of bees and beekeeping are concerned. Um, there has been a massive resurgence of interest in the uh, in beekeeping and also uh, a resurgence of interest in the uh, the possibilities associated with bee products particularly of course uh, honey um, the the science now developing around uh, the therapeutic activity or the potential therapeutic activity of, of honey is 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 very very fascinating and accelerating and a lot of this has had to do with the uh, the way in which the uh, New Zealand manuka honey. Mm. Uh, now I should qualify that. There's a big, big, big uh, debate going on as to whether or not uh, manuka is uniquely a New Zealand uh, plant or name, or whether or not, in fact, uh, Australia has as much claim to it as the New Zealanders have. But it, it doesn't really matter. The the interesting thing is the the work done in New Zealand with reference to what is known there as manuka honey, demonstrating its um, significant antimicrobial activity has led to a whole industry now associated with um, uh, developing, rekindling um, the use of particular antimicrobial honeys in the treatment of human disease. Now, all honeys, let me emphasise this to listeners, all honeys have antimicrobial characteristics. It's just that some honeys, those that belong to what's called the Leptospermum genus, they seem to have a higher content of uh, microbial activity than do other members of of of, uh, of the well the eucalypt family, for instance. But let me emphasise: all honeys share similar characteristics, albeit there are some that have a uniquely higher level of therapeutic activity, particularly when it comes to addressing infection, etc. In fact. I've got to be defensive here of even uh, the understanding associated with uh, eucalyptus honeys. Mm. Um, eucalyptus is, is a massive genus in, in this, in this uh, country. And um, the, the honey that uh, has uh, been the basis of my uh, ointment preparations for many, many years was always just straight out Australian eucalyptus-based honey. And I got some of my best results uh, with that honey that I have ever achieved. Admittedly, in, in the later years, I'm using a, a Leptospermum, uh, Leptospermum polygonatum, which is uh, known as a jellybush honey, 
uh, I'm using it rather than eucalypts, but I'm quite convinced that at the end of the day, the activity of honey is not just based on its microbiological potential, it's also associated with what honey does at other levels, particularly with reference to wounds. So uh, getting back to my point, the fascination, uh, resurgence uh, of interest in honey is driven, I believe, uh, at one level by uh, an entrepreneurial uh, attitude to use something that's perfectly natural uh, and perfectly workable and very well documented from ancient times to the present as warranting a place in modern health care. It was quite interesting yesterday. I saw a patient in my rooms who said, uh, oh, you probably don't remember me, but I used to do your mother's hair. I said, oh, yeah. I said, Beth was right into her hair. And she said, I used to go there, and I really enjoyed it. She said, going and talking to her, I said, yes, we miss my dear mother very much. She said, but Beth used to always tell me about the, the drama of when she ripped her leg open and uh, how that uh, nothing would cause it to heal until she used uh, your honey ointment. And then she used to boast about the fact that even those in charge of her couldn't, couldn't believe how it worked. And I thought, well, that's worthwhile mentioning today that in the area of honey applications and honey therapy, the, 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 the wound healing potential of properly applied uh, honey preparations is something that is staggering, well-documented, as I keep saying, and uh, seemingly now being taken a lot more seriously. Uh, It's interesting, one of the first uh, papers that I read in modern times uh, on the application of honey to serious wounds was uh, a paper that, uh, an article that occurred, I think it was in Time magazine, Newsweek, I can't remember, but it was uh, an article, or a column actually, written by a, uh, a missionary medical practitioner uh, in Africa. Uh, and like many um, uh, missionary uh, doctors with not a lot of gear, they, they improvise, this chap used and was using honey for the dressing of very, very severe wounds. And they showed a photograph of a little African guy that I think had been pretty badly done by in a, in a tribal fight where he had massive wounds around his neck, etc. And um, the, the story went on as to the improvement, the complete healing that took place on this little African kid's neck as a result of this very, very innovative, uh, I think it was a British uh, medical um, practitioner doing missionary work, how he applied that. And I, that stimulated me to, uh, to mention it then, uh, even subsequent to my work previously with honey. So, yeah, I'm into honey in a big You're way, as I've always been into honey. <laughs> you have, and uh, very nice honey too. It is. But um, it might be worthwhile in just a moment to talk about starting up Why a hive and becoming... A good, it's a good time to encourage people, and I know there are many out there, as to how to get into bees, as the common parlance is. How can we get into beekeeping? Health Naturally is the program. 25 past 12 on Health Naturally today. Dennis Stewart, we're talking about bees. And uh, what about keeping bees? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, mm-hmm. so much activity amongst the bees. It's probably a good time to think about setting up your own hive. It's, it's, it, in my opinion, this is the best time for people who are contemplating having a hive or two in their backyard. And let me just say that um, this is seemingly being encouraged uh, by councils and governments. Um, and a, a beehive in the backyard, so long as it's well-kept and well-managed, 
in my opinion, is a very, very safe enterprise. Uh, bees, if they're looked after, will not give you trouble unless you do something entirely stupid. Um, we have bees in our backyard and have had them in our backyards for years and years and years. And the number of times there have been incidents is quite remote. Uh, listeners might, might be interested to know that I can walk right up to the entrance of my hives and pull grass away from them or clear them, and very rarely do I get uh, stung. To, this is a good time because at, at springtime, um, if one were to purchase a hive, one could follow it right through from the stage where you have a nucleus which is a number of frames of hives, of, of bees, a queen, in a box, and you can take them from that rudimentary level, uh, the purchasing of what we call a nucleus. A nucleus is about four to five frames of bees, and they form the starting colony uh, for the hive. A nucleus can be purchased from numerous uh, suppliers, and we have good uh, beekeeping agencies and suppliers in Newcastle, um, they can tell you very easily where to get what's called a nucleus. A nucleus, a small quantity of bees with a queen, very stable, put into what's called a, a, a box um, and with a lid on it and with some empty frames. It's as simple as that. And then you can watch how that nucleus goes from a small group of bees with a queen in a box with empty frames, you can observe how that goes from that starting point right through to when the what we call the, the, the brood, the, the brood box, if you like, that's where the queen and the nucleus is, up to the point where the queen has fully uh, laid all the eggs in all the frames in that uh, box, and then you are um, fascinated by the way at that stage in which you would then put what's called a super on it, and that is when the worker bees that have, that have helped the queen develop all those young bees that are coming out of the, the eggs in that bottom box, then the worker bees can fill what's called the super on top of the brood chamber, and that's when you get the honey. But look, this is a good time because it's springtime. There's plenty of blossom. The bees are not going to starve, particularly this season. Plenty of blossom about. If you get in early, get a nice box, uh, get your woodwork done properly fascinating to do that good supplies here in Newcastle and in the coal fields get a nucleus watch it from this point go through the season you'll probably at the end of the season have a brood chamber with young vibrant bees a queen and drone and workers all doing their best a super on top which is likely to give you about 20 kg of honey mm. In, in one season, at least 20 kg. Mm. If you look after your bees and uh, keep an eye on them, um, they will work for you. So getting into it is not difficult. But one thing I always, always encourage anyone who comes to talk to you in my rooms about uh, beekeeping, and I'm happy to talk to anyone in my rooms, or particularly on Friday afternoon, about getting into beekeeping, um, what I insist they do is contact their local Amateur Beekeeping Association. There you'll find men and women who are right into beekeeping and can pass on, uh, free of charge, all their accumulated information. They are the mentors. And then, of course, what you have to do is make sure you've got good handbooks that can tell you all the things you need to know about and what to, what to look for in a beehive. 
So there's a couple of things. Contemplate a nucleus, that is, a number of worker bees with a queen. Contemplate getting a box to put them in from our local suppliers. Contemplate putting them in a nice uh, part of the backyard, obviously away from where people walk. Keep an eye on them almost on a weekly or fortnightly basis and then watch them go from that. But again, join the local Amateur Beekeepers Association, perhaps even before you buy your nukes, and also get good books that will help you work through it. And I suppose it's a good thing to get to know your bees and what their life cycle is like It too. is indeed. And look, it's, it's, people might think I go over the top when I say this, Jane, but they get to know you. Ah. I'm, I'm convinced. I'm convinced like nothing else. Oh, that's a bit of an overstatement, but I'm very convinced that they can pick up whether it's the smell that you have, whether the way you move around the hive. I'm not sure what it is, but I sit and watch my bees regularly, regularly just watch them, and I can walk over to them, as I said, and clear up around the hive. They can land on my hands. They will not sting. And there's something in recognition here, and I'm sure some of the older beekeepers would know what I'm talking about because many of them work their hives almost as family. And very rarely are they attacked or stung. They get to know you. Health naturally. And Dennis Stewart, um, taking your calls. And Dennis, we've we've got Yvonne from Singleton on the line. And uh, you're looking for something as an alternative to statins as far as cholesterol goes and reducing it, Yvonne. Is that right? That's correct. Hello, Yvonne. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Jane. (laughs) Yvonne, Yvonne, uh, with reference to your um, cholesterol, um, are you being managed uh, for it presently by your GP? Yes, and for the first time, um, she's put me on a statin, and I've had some really bad um, side effects from it, and I don't tolerate it, so I'm looking for help for anything Okay. So I can go to her cap in hand, Dennis, sure. and say, I'm going to try this instead. <laughs> well, it, 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 it probably wouldn't surprise you when I say that uh, most GPs that um, I have anything to do with, and I have quite a lot to do with many GPs, most of them are open to the use of sensible um, alternatives to yes. going straight on to statins. I'm not a fan of statins, so to an extent I'm on your side, albeit... Yes. I would be the first to acknowledge that there are situations where statins form part of a protocol, particularly subsequent to a person, say, having uh, cardiovascular surgery or intervention, where uh, a specialist physician would pretty well insist, and, and in that situation, rightly so, that with all perhaps the disadvantages of them, the advantages would outweigh the disadvantages in a situation such as that. What I worry about, what I worry about is where, in what I would refer to as moderately elevated levels of cholesterol, are too frequently uh, treated almost um, automatically by a script Uh for a statin. Uh, In in my opinion, and I will use that terminology, in my opinion, I think that's a bit lazy. Um, The first thing I think that needs to be appreciated is that in moderately elevated levels of of, of cholesterol, um, there are good... Uh, over-the-counter, in-the-marketplace products which have demonstrated their efficacy. And one of them that I have great confidence in, and and it was only yesterday that I recommended it twice to some of my uh, uh, patients, is basically some of the sophisticated uh, brand preparations 
that have what's called uh, beta-glucan, beta-glucan, that is the content of some brand products, and they are readily available from our pharmacies, and I'm not mentioning any names, but uh, your pharmacist would stock well-known brands of uh, um, brand products with beta-glucan in it, which if taken in the stipulated form in which some of these packages occur, have demonstrated, even with some of my patients and clients, an ability to drop moderately elevated cholesterol levels back beyond that 5.5, 5.2. So the first right. thing is to make a beeline uh, to your pharmacy, perhaps. Talk to your pharmacist. He would know the product or products that I'm talking about. Tell him you've been uh, talking to me and that you're yep. interested in a product that comes in a little satchel form. The package okay. contains sat, uh, a little satchel of, yep. uh, of this particular form of brand with beta-glucan in it and the taking of one satchel of that per day, as instructed mm-hmm. on the package, has demonstrated yep. efficacy. That product, by the way, would not be able to make the product or the product claims on the package if they were not considered valid. A product like uh-huh. that would have had to sustain the approval of the Therapeutic Goods Administration. It's a good okay. starting base, and I can talk uh-huh. of many, many, many of my uh, patients that have done well with moderately elevated levels who have uh, sought to use that disciplined approach of using that, what I call, natural medication as stipulated in the package for a period of time, a three-month exposure to it, in most cases is demonstrated an ability to drop a unit or 1.5 units. That is the starting base that I would suggest. The second thing uh, that you can also um, take on board is the understanding that there are substances called phytosterols, P-H-Y-T-O, that means plant. Sterols is the actual chemistry of the substance, and phytosterols are substances that occur in many uh, foods and plants, and phytosterols are extracted and converted into uh, tablet or encapsulated preparations. And the taking of those products uh, is significant in as much that phytosterols have been shown uh, to inhibit uh, the uh, reabsorption of cholesterol uh, from the intestinal wall. It hinders the uptake of cholesterol as it's passing through the system. So it naturally depletes, to a degree, the level of cholesterol in the bloodstream because cholesterol as it is being exited from the system uh, is not uh, reabsorbed. It's hindered by these Uh uh, phytosterols. There are two ways of looking at it. Of course, uh, dietary things are useful, although it's been shown that a lot of the original dietary information uh, hasn't really been that successful. People can go off all their eggs and their their milk products and things. That early advice, I think most practitioners, medical and naturopathic, would question these days. But it is fair to say, it is fair to say that a Mediterranean-type diet with a lot of uh, fresh fruits and vegetables, uh, uh, particularly if they're taken raw or in a a semi-cooked form, a diet that is very strong in, um, in those substances is valuable, particularly a Mediterranean emphasis if it is appended by uh, what Mediterraneans use frequently, and that is extra virgin olive oil. Virgin olive oil. So mm. if you get into, into that, I'm sure your GP would have no reservation 
about giving you an opportunity to demonstrate that going down that pathway, try one at a time. I would suggest the package of the particular brand product with a little satchel in it, one a day. I would suggest you go down that pathway with perhaps visiting the Mediterranean diet a bit more vigorously and starting Uh to use olive oil in your diet, which in itself also is a a valuable agent in causing a reduction in cholesterol. What about the fish oils? And... Okay, look, fish oil is, is useful, uh, but uh, fish oil has, if anything, what it does is contribute perhaps to a better level of what we call high-density lipoproteins. That is, if you like, the good protein. But I, I can only speak from my experience here. Um, oh, look, I, I use fish oils, but I use them mainly in a very restricted area, and that is as an adjunctive medication for addressing some early levels of rheumatoid arthritis. I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I'm not that... Imp- now, don't get me wrong, I'm a great fan of fish, and I've got to go to the fish markets when I leave this, <laughs> this program. But um, I think that the way to go, in my opinion, is the way that I've said uh, a moment yes, ago. Okay. But Brilliant. I'll come back to the point. Fish, fish oil products... Are great products. If you can append them to your diet, they have multiple benefits. But as a, de- a deliberate method of trying to get your cholesterol down, try that little program that I've shared with you. Okay, that's brilliant. Thanks very much. Thanks, for Yvonne. Help, Good, on you. Good on Thank you, Yvonne, for your call. And from Lambton, Chris has rung in. Chris, ulcers on the legs can be a problem. Hello, Chris. Hello, Dennis. It's, um, thank you for taking my call. You know me as Chris Gorman. I normally come I to do, you and Chris. see you regularly. I know you well. You're a good friend. Thank you so much for taking my call. I'm just worried about a friend of mine that's got ulcers. Mm. Does she have honey on that? Well, the first thing is if she has an ulcer or ulcers, it's mandatory that she be under a medical practitioner who is keeping right. an eye on it because ulcers that are poorly managed can be very, very compromising. So it's, it's very important to insist, and I'm sure your friend is doing this, very important that she keeps uh, under the care of, of a medical practitioner and preferably is being monitored and her ulcers being dressed uh, by, by a, a member of the nursing fraternity, a community nurse. Now, if the ulcer uh, is not responding well, the first thing that needs to be done to do, the courteous thing to do, would be for your friend to discuss uh, with the GP uh, his willingness to, to monitor an application of honey ointment. Right. Uh, I would be surprised if there would be any objection, particularly if the ulcer is chronic and is not doing well and is becoming too deep. At that level, at that level, that lady, in my opinion, or your friend, would have every possibility of benefiting from an ongoing application of the honey ointment, which works at two levels. It has what we call an antimicrobial level. It addresses infection in the ulcer. And secondarily, it promotes actual healing of the ulcer. So I would think that if she's got a leg ulcer, I know if it was my mother, I'd be suggesting, and my mother took it on board, that she try a honey ointment and um, let a, a healthcare professional, however, monitor the treatment. It's not something that one would do without it being monitored. Well, thank you, 
Dennis, for your help, and Dad, it's nice that you got Jane next to you. She oh, does yes. a wonderful job. She does. She's a good uh, woman. She's it's a good woman. good to hear from you, Chris, and you have a <laughs> Thank great you. day. And good luck with those leg ulcers for your friend. Yeah, dear, 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 dear. Now, Bill has rung in from Maitland, and Bill, you're finding that after you eat meats, um, particularly cured meats, you have some joint pain inflammation. I just wonder if you could turn your radio off. We're getting an echo. Yeah, I've, I've done that. Well so done. Right, yes. excellent. Yep. Okay, so um, uh, what, I've, what I've found is that when I eat um, uh, cured meats in particular, mm-hmm. uh, I'll give you an example. I made a, 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 a quite lovely, I thought. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course. Ham, ham hock. <laughs> Ham hock soup. Like. Oh, I love it. I love it. And um, uh, but um, and I, I minimised the amount of meat that I ate because I, I've noticed this pattern where if I eat uh, meat, a lot of meat uh, or cured meat yes. in particular, yes, uh, I get I get pains and and uh, in the in the, all of the joints, so I lock up like an old man. I'm sixty seven, but yes. I, I'm reasonably athletic and was yes uh you know competing in various sports up until three years ago so uh but i've uh my my physical uh output has diminished due to the COVID thing and the gyms were closed and yes yes and, and um anyway what so what i find is that i have uh joint pain which i i've uh I can alleviate mm. uh, by a quick application of uh, an anti-inflammatory tablet, but I know they're not good for you. Um, look, Bill, I think he, this is perhaps not not um, entirely unusual. Uh, many people are sensitive uh, to cured meats, as they're called, um, either the process itself, uh, some of what um, goes into the curing, uh, some of the... Um, Preservative substances, even in some forms of uh, of meats, um, have been shown in some people to stimulate, if you like, almost what we call a hypersensitivity reaction. That yeah. um, they, in, in some individuals, they are particularly uh, compromising, and and stimulate an inflammatory response consistent with the hypersensitive reaction. Uh, there's perhaps no easy answer to this. Um, if you were to perhaps limit your eating of cured meats, um, yes. that might be the solution. What I mean, uh, that might be a big call, but I think, again, it depends oh, upon well, what level you're, you, you're taking them at. Well, look, I, 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 I'm, I'm happy to cut them out altogether if, mm-hmm. if necessary. You, you, uh, might, you might not have to do that, Bill. My, uh, my view on this is that everyone is an individual. Um, uh, some people, for instance, react... Uh, very significantly to even the eating of a, of a tomato. Um, and we know why, because the tomato contains an alkaloid called solanine, uh, which yeah. is renowned for triggering, if you like, inflammatory symptomatology in some people, but not all people. And well, the per- a, a person... A, a, it, tomatoes, do that, tomatoes do that in me. Okay. Well, then okay. You, you, you would be what I would call a very hypersensitive person, and at the end of the day... The only way to address the problem, obviously, is to acknowledge uh, what causes the problem, retreat yeah. from it, 
or or take those foods very, very sparingly. There wouldn't yes. seem to be much alternative to that bill. Yes, and what so uh, what are, what we what we do as a family, uh, yes. we we embrace the uh, the um, uh, Mediterranean diet as yes. you were talking about good, earlier. Good, good, and uh, and I've you know I I love it and it works. Yes, uh, uh, but I, I just have to. Uh, move away yes. from some of the more um, provocative meat yes. aspects yes. of it and, yes. and, uh, and move more toward uh, uh, pesto rather than tomato-based sauces, I'm thinking. Well, that's not a bad idea. Uh, the, the, the Mediterranean diet is an emphasis. Everyone builds on that base to uh, construct a cuisine, if you like, or an eating style which is essentially Mediterranean, but uh, is, is restrictive in some areas where aspects of it might, uh, might not be desirable for that person. Mm. Right? And, that, and those things were never a problem until I got older. And well, uh, it, it, it may be, Bill, and it's just a suggestion, it may be that uh, all of us as we get older, our, our joints particularly, uh, begin to manifest wear and tear symptoms. Yes. And and uh, you may have well been able to handle these reactive symptoms uh, earlier when your joints were in in better shape, but yes. the, the way in which you perhaps work them and and good luck to you, you sound fairly healthy may have in some way uh, compromised them a bit so that even yes. a, even a small trigger factor these days can stimulate something whereas previously you wouldn't have even noticed. Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart and we're taking your calls at the moment. Kay from Booragal, uh, cholesterol control. We touched on that a little bit earlier, but um, you would like to bring that up again or another facet? Um, yes, just another question about it. Yep. Um, Dennis was recommending some um, non-statin Treatment and one of them was beta glucan or something. Beta glucan is a chemical. Beta yeah, it's a chemical constituent uh, found. I'm just yes. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, I'm just wondering how if diabetics can take that, or is it um, diabetics? Sure. I, I would think that uh, there would be very little problem uh, with that at all, because interestingly, the uh, the, the brand-based product which contains this substance also has a useful effect in stabilising blood sugar levels. Um, mm-hmm. The basic rationale is this substance, uh, beta-glucan, is a form of uh, what we might call a fibre, soluble fibre, and soluble fibre works at two levels. It can assist in the quiet, progressive uh, reduction of moderately elevated levels of, of, of cholesterol, but also what it can actually do is slow down the assimilation or the uptake of of carbohydrates so that rather than a spike occurring which sends the blood sugar level rapidly up the taking of of a form of soluble fiber can slow that process down and lead to a more balanced uh, level of um, of blood sugar level uh, blood sugar level so i could not see uh, any problem whatsoever in a person using uh, any form of fibre, particularly soluble fibre, if they were diabetic. I could only see it uh, helping in the management of of the condition. Excellent. 
Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Kate. And glad to hear you're happy with that. And uh, just before Jan, we take Jan's question, Amanda rang in from Cooks Hill. Her father used to have problems yes. with tomatoes, as yes. we were talking about. Yes. She scooped out all the seeds and he can tolerate them. Okay. That's interesting, Amanda. I'm not quite sure um, what sort of problems your father had. Uh, some, If his problem had to do with something like diverticulitis... Uh, any seed product can sometimes cause um, irritation of a diverticular lesion on the bowel wall and the taking of, of seeds out of the tomato might have uh, seen uh, that condition improved that way. But if it uh, had nothing to do with that and he was just uh, reacting particularly as far as his joints were concerned um, and that he was sensitive, if you like, uh, to the tomato, it could be it could be that the seeds of the tomato is where the concentrated alkaloid resides. Now, tomatoes, interestingly, also belong to the Solanaceae family. They share the same sort of chemistry that um, that uh, a, a potato um, or other members of that family also have, and the that particular alkaloid uh, can be very, very provocative. It may be, and I'd have to check on this, it may be that it is very concentrated in the seed of the tomato rather than in the flesh of the tomato. Now, I'll have to look at that, but I think I'm pretty sure. And the seeds, uh, therefore, taken from uh, the food would take from it the provocative alkaloid that uh, in some individuals can stimulate um, joint and even some muscle discomfort. That's a possibility. I'm glad you rang in. I think I'm right with that. But um, as soon as I get home, I'll check it to make sure that that I haven't (laughs) led you up the garden path. And so we look forward to your research on that. And as our last question, Jan rang in from East Maitland uh, and asking for your thoughts, I think. Is that right, Jan, on medicinal hemp oil? Yeah, Janie. Hello. Um, Hello. Uh, what uh, What are you using it for? What are well, you? Well, I'm not using it for anything uh-huh. at the moment, my my dear. My daughter was told that it was. I've got a really, really bad back, okay. and I don't sleep real well. And and my daughter was told by someone that takes this, yeah. which you can buy at the at the at the grocery shop. Yeah. So I mean, it's over the counter. But yeah. I'm just ringing up to find out if it's as good as it's okay. cracked up to be. Well. It, it, Without wanting to sound cynical, Jan, um, you always have to be a little bit cautious about things that are out there uh, for which claims are vigorously made Mm. but which don't always live up to the reputation. Uh, I've been in this profession and industry for very, very many years and there are some excellent products in them, Mm. but sometimes enthusiasm for a product Mm. uh, can get the better of some people and perhaps they're useful a good result of using a product like hemp seed oil mm. uh, leads them to believe that it might be appropriate to all other people suffering from it. Mm. Yeah, that's I'm, why I'm a bit dodgy I'm, about I'm it. Not, I'm not convinced of that. But look, if it is legal um, and if it is available um, at retail, and I've seen it in retail outlets, 
I don't think it's that expensive. No, it's about uh, $25 a bottle. Okay, well, you'd want to get a bit of benefit for that, wouldn't you? Yeah, okay. I don't, wouldn't want to get high on it. I wouldn't want people at my age to think I'm a drug addict. <laughs> I don't think it would be... I you only have a teaspoon I, twice a day. I, but. I don't think it would be being sold over the counter in fancy bottles making claims yeah. if it was illegal. Uh, what I, mean, I don't want to be getting around the street high. Oh, well, it would be interesting to observe you, Jan. <laughs> but, look, uh, look uh, it probably is okay if it's legal and it's not too expensive. Yeah. It might be worthwhile giving you a go. It was one of your family told you to have a my go. Daughter. Oh, my well, daughter. My daughter. Yeah. You've you got to listen to your daughters. They, oh, know, yeah, it. they know. know everything. Like they know everything. Major. They know everything, don't they? You've got one too, have you? Yeah. I've got one too. Cinderella. Oh, there we <laughs> I've go. I've got one too. Oh, <laughs> well, yes, we could go. talk all day about daughters, I'm sure, <laughs> couldn't we? And that, thank you for your call, Jen. And uh, that brings us to the end of Health Naturally today. So, Dennis Stewart, we look forward to your company again next week. Thank you, Jane. On to a new RFM.